I thought about how good it feels one to be able to live my values mm-hmm. because I, I know what they are and I believe that I am worthy of them. And two, to live your values means to reinforce your self-worth. It kind of, it plays back into that. Like whenever I'm investing in other women who I know what they're worth, I'm also saying I'm worth investing in too because I'm living in integrity with my belief. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Calm Collective Podcast. If you're new, I'm Cassandra, and I'm so grateful that you're here. If you've been listening since the beginning, thank you from the depths for continuously showing up in this space. I'm not going to do much of a personal intro today um, for the sole reason that I can't wait another moment to introduce you to today's guest. Madison Headland is a sought-after life coach specializing in self-worth, and holy you guys, She's so incredibly wise, warm, and relatable, and I felt like I was just coasting on a cloud throughout the rest of the day after our chat, honestly. She's so vulnerable in her experience through healing her childhood wounds, overcoming her shadows around growth within her business. We chat about all things abundance. She opens up about leaving her religion, her past traumas, and she gives specific practices and exercises that each of you can put in your pocket and implement right away when it comes to rooting yourself in your worth, which is so important. This work, it's they often say that the heart work is the hardest work, and that just couldn't be more true, right? This, this podcast was created to assure each and every one of you, myself included, that we're never alone on this journey. There are always, always other people striving to grow and evolve, going through different challenges, facing life head on and finding creative and innovative ways to heal themselves from the inside out. And it's my sole mission and my hope that you're getting what you need from these episodes. And I have no doubt that Madison's vulnerability and her outlook on life and the beauty of standing in your own worth and speaking your truth will resonate so deeply. So without further ado, let's head into today's show with Madison Headland. I am so excited to introduce you to someone that I have been following for quite a while, life coach and worthiness mentor, Madison Headland. I'm so glad you're here. Like I just said before we hit record, I've been following you for quite some time now and being someone personally who's become almost obsessed with self-worth and awareness, everything that you post is just gold to me. So I'm really thrilled to be able to share you with my listeners in case they haven't had the opportunity to stumble across you yet. So thank you for taking the time. Yes, thank you so much. It is honestly my life's work. Like mm. As you know, you live what you teach. And so it is my favorite thing to share and to hopefully meet some of your community after um, the podcast airs. Absolutely. And everyone knows this, but there will be all of your information in the show notes so people can just find you and get lost in the rabbit hole of your amazing blog posts and your Instagram. Yeah, I'm a fan if you can't tell. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Of course. So I like to start off by painting a picture for all of my listeners. Um, So can you give us a little visual and maybe some insight as to what life is looking like for you right now in the present moment? Yes. Well, it's currently summertime and I live in Missouri. So just life right now feels slow and Mm -hmm. lush and green and like afternoon coffee dates with friends. So um, it's, it's really beautiful. Like I feel like I'm um, living a life that I've been 
trying to cultivate for years, but there was always some internal resistance and also some outside circumstance that held me back from that. And so just in life right now, I'm living um, at a slower pace. I opted out of some like big business plans I had this summer so I could have space to rest, which I really haven't done in the four years of owning my business is really, Mm -hmm. I'm still working, but I have slowed down a lot and am really tuning in to see what um, my soul has for me next. So I have some plans, but I'm letting them drip a little bit more slowly into my work than I have in the past. So it's just feeling really nourishing and I'm letting uh, more of my like in-person community really be the forefront of my energy building an online business. So much of my energy was on the computer and on my phone for so long. And I've really found amazing healers and I I call them my little community of witches in my town, which which you wouldn't expect. And I didn't think because I live in such a conservative city, but I have really found a beautiful community and have been investing myself there. So life feels rich and nourishing and slow and dips in the river and it's been such a good summer. Oh, I love that so much. And I love that you touched on the fact that you're just making this time for rest as a successful entrepreneur, because I think that can scare a lot of people. And that's why I love having really successful people on this podcast share that transparency of like, yeah, I'm taking things slow and you know, I'm still working. It's Mm -hmm. possible. It's possible to have both to have that nourishment and to still have a thriving business. Um, and I just, I think that that's really important to touch on that. So let's back it up just a little bit. Your childhood, what was that like? I know that you left your religion somewhat recently or at some point. So I'm excited to talk about that, but what, yeah. So what was your childhood like? So (laughs) my childhood is so complicated, um, because I, I had so many different sets of families and parents. My dad mm-hmm. has been married five times, okay. and so and I'm the first child of for both of my parents. But there are seven of us total. Wow! So um, and none of us have the same two parents. So at, what that means is there's lots of marriages and, um, you know, blended families. So, I. Whenever I was a child, I didn't know I was living in a lot of dysfunction and trauma. I, mm-hmm. I thought that everyone had these sort of blended families. I thought that everyone had um, an alcoholic parent or a mentally unstable parent. I, that was just my normal. So it really didn't occur to me that anything was wrong. So I I don't actually remember having a bad childhood, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was lacking anything in, in those moments. I felt like, you know, I was doing dance classes and martial arts classes and um, we really actually weren't religious at my mom's house, but at my dad's house, he became very evangelical whenever I was eight because he, he went to prison for drinking and driving. And in that time he was in prison, he became born again. And that was where that infiltration of the dogmatic religion came into my life. So I had one household that was not religious very much at all. They were like loosely Lutheran, but not like didn't really go to church. And then the other side of my family was very religious. Mm. So, um, along with all of that, I had a step parent who was abusive towards me specifically and, um, a lot, lots of verbal abuse, psychological abuse. And what really it comes down to now that I have language for this is narcissistic abuse and Mm. severe codependence in my home. Mm -hmm. And so, I didn't know any of that back then. I was a very happy kid. I was really bright. I did well in school and all of those things. Um, but I've 
kind of looked back now and have seen that I played the role of the savior and like the jokester in my family. So a lot of my personality traits of being bubbly and talkative, although some of them are inherent in just how I came in, a lot of them are cultivated through this like need to perform and deflect some of that negative energy um, from my family and to, to even cope with my own pain that I didn't realize I was experiencing. So um, it was around middle school, actually, that I personally really dove into religion and used the church as a second, well, second slash third, because I already had two different families, Mm -hmm. a family, because I didn't feel belonging, you know, and neither household had all of my family in it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my mom and my stepdad, and they had their family, and my dad and one of his wives, and they had their family, and I bounced in between and there was a, a big feeling of not belonging, of being wrong, or that like my presence made it bad, um, just because those kind of families are difficult. And we didn't, you know, we weren't in therapy. That wasn't a thing that was yeah. happening. So um, we, my parents were without a lot of tools and resources to support themselves and to support us. So um, I sought that out in the church, and I started going to youth group with friends and around 12 is whenever I was, I devoted myself to the church and to religion. And so from 12 to probably 23, I was deeply invested in evangelical Christianity, um, like from the celibacy to, um, you know, getting married really, really young. I mean, the whole thing being a missionary. So a lot Mm -hmm. of my teen years were spent being, um, like the, picturesque good Christian girl you know Mm -hmm. I didn't drink I didn't smoke I didn't have sex I um was studious and I would say odd because I definitely had odd interests but and but I definitely played the role of like good popular girl who doesn't do anything wrong and Mm so uh, my 20s have been deconstructing that and healing from in many ways the way that trauma caused a performance uh, personality and the way that being raised by a narcissist and codependent, um, and alcoholic parents, what that does to, um, your need for approval and self-worth. So I know I just said so much. No, (laughs) it was full of many good moments also, but that's the synopsis of the work that I now help women do. Yeah. So it's so closely tied to what you're doing now. I mean, I'm sure, is it the catapult? Is it like the catalyst as to what brought you to what you're helping and teaching others? Would you say it's like rooted in your childhood? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I went to college. I wanted to be a sex therapist. So whenever mm. I went to college, I, I had sexual trauma and I, you know, I had one side of the family very, very open about sexuality and the other side of the family, very taboo, that's bad, that's wrong, mm-hmm. your body is sinful. And so I had a lot of mixed messaging I was trying to sort through. And I think, um, you know, just my experience in the church and then my experience in college, um, looking for these answers. It started with me being a seeker of why is my life this way? Why do I feel this way? And after I went to therapy, I, I realized it was, I'm not broken. Oh my God. I've been living my whole life this way, seeking, fixing what's wrong with me. So that I'll be enough so that I'll be worthy enough, be it for a parent or Mm -hmm. a teacher or God. Um, and so, yeah, I, it definitely informs. And I now think, I mean, I, I am really grateful to have had the adversity I had because I feel like I have such a deep perspective of what people are going through. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 
Absolutely. Also, in in today's culture, right, with all of, like, the societal Mm -hmm. pressures, Mm -hmm. self-worth seems to be, to be, to be, we're all fighting for. But the positive flip side is that I feel that it's never really been talked about more than it is Mm -hmm. right now. And, you know, there's so much awareness, awareness happening around this subject, which... It makes me so incredibly happy and grateful. So how do you feel like today's culture has played a part in, I guess, stripping women and people in general of their worth? Yes. Well, I'm so glad that you asked this because as I talk to most women that I even work with, the level of trauma they had isn't as much or as like obvious as the trauma that I've had. Mm. So, you know, I had to really invested my healing. If I wanted to be well, my nervous system was so messed up and I've, I've had to, like, I've had to heal to to thrive. But as I've started doing this work, I see so many women who didn't have experiences, anything like mine at Mm -hmm. all, Mm -hmm. still struggling. They could have had the picture perfect family, even people in, in religion that wasn't toxic, um, still feeling these pressures to be more than they are or that they're, they're too much. And so I, that's where the deconstruction of my faith really um, allowed me to see the societal norm Mm -hmm. in women feeling perpetually too much or not enough. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, I mean, as we know, it comes up in media, the rise of, you know, the Instagram influencer and all the ways that we compare ourselves through media, Mm -hmm. but it's also more subtle than that. And I think a lot of it goes down and comes back to the fact that our entire culture is a patriarchal culture that perpetuates women as damsels in distress. Yes. We look look at all of the Disney movies and we see these women who are, they're not anything Mm -hmm. until they get the man. And it's this, it starts either it's either it's either it's in childhood from mm-hmm. those princess movies um, to the way that we interact with our own fathers and the way that our mothers interact with our fathers and all. It's so subtle. It doesn't have to be this big trauma that happens to us. I think whenever it's just it's like the air we breathe and the water we drink is everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Do you have any advice as to how someone who's maybe feeling that way can combat that? I I do. You're like, where do I start? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think it starts with just admitting where the insecurities Mm -hmm. are. And on one hand, I want to say normalize the fact that everyone has them. And on the other hand, I want to say stop normalizing Mm -hmm. suffering and pain in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because whenever we start identifying with, well, this is just what everyone struggles with and how it is we limit our capacity for freedom. Mm -hmm. And so on one hand, noticing how so many other people are, are suffering and it's, it's normal to have that struggle Mm -hmm. and that it's, it doesn't have to be normal to stay there. Absolutely. Even just opening up that there is a new possibility that people really are living, um, in their healing Mm -hmm. is so exciting. And so Mm -hmm. with that, I would, I would say do some inner work from therapy. Therapy is where I would tell everyone to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if it's just journaling and talking to your inner child and healing your mother wound and healing your father wound, I mean, there's so much. That's actually how I started was just free journaling to where I just like surrendered to the paper. I'd always journaled with mm-hmm. um, a block of like journaling as if someone could find it. Um, yeah. yeah, and there's a huge block there. You know, you're not doing yourself a service. And so that, that really 
was what started to stir up my healing pot and that I want to touch on that I love and I just I kind of almost want to just repeat it is that I have I myself along with a couple of people who are really close to me in my life right now are really doing that deep healing work and something that I try to tell myself by giving myself that grace and anytime any one of my friends is in a position or my family in a position of where they're like just feeling so destructed. Like, why do I do X, Y, Z? Why do I feel X, Y, Z? The first thing I always say is, oh my God, that self-awareness is profound. Mm. Give yourself that like, that high five, if you will, that you, you're claiming the pieces. Mm -hmm. You know, that is where the healing begins is when you can identify, Mm -hmm. you know, what the marker is. And I think a lot of times, like you said, we just shove it under a rug and say, that's the way that it is. Like, I'm just not going to deal with it. But to be able to yeah. call those things out, it's just, that's where it starts. It's so important. And it, just to even, like, name what you're saying is, like, to notice and accept. And in my in my program that, like, I run with women, that is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. Once they get to that place, the rest of the program is smooth sailing. It's just like yeah. it flows. But as they're in resistance to accepting what is, mm-hmm. life is so difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, oh, I do this and it's not working for me and I still love myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I'm, and it almost seems counterintuitive because I think a lot of us, especially those who are ambitious and really want to see the change and mm-hmm. like love personal development. Um, we can often be afraid that if we accept, then we're resigning to what is. Yeah, absolutely. Up yeah. To it. Yeah. That's so well said. It's actually the medicine, you know, but mm-hmm. it, it's a bridge but it's not the same thing. Acceptance and complacency just aren't the same. And it often mm-hmm. feels like they are. Yeah. I talk about it somewhat often, but I mean, even just, I mean, I'll say it again, just to continually, continuously set myself free is that I call myself a recovering codependent mm-hmm. um, and was definitely guilty of always looking for someone to complete me. Like, I don't think I've ever entered a relationship already feeling whole Mm. Um, and that was about a year ago since my last one. And I can't even tell you the profound shift that I've had in this year of being intentionally single. It's been so powerful. And it, the only reason it's been enjoyable is because I claimed that piece of myself. I claimed what wasn't working and Mm. I was able to, I mean, I'm still doing the work, but I was able to really heal that part and like set myself free of that. Mm. But you're right. Up until then, it was like I was just fighting tooth and nail and running into the same fire over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. I love that so much. So beautifully said. And so speaking of relationships, I really want to touch on self-worth within relationships, mainly because this, I think, along with, let's say, money, is where, Mm -hmm. for me personally, where my worth struggles have always lied. So, um, And this is where my, we'll call it an awakened moment, (laughs) occurred. (laughs) when I realized that I didn't have as as much self-worth as I thought. But just a a quick little story, but it was confusing because I had like a a four-and-a-half-year relationship. Um, This was like my, not this last relationship, but the one before that, and he had been unfaithful, and my worth was never stronger after that. Like right when that happened, it was like it can go one of two ways, right? And mine just like catapulted. Even in my body language, I remember you could just tell I was so high in my worth, the way I held my shoulders and my head, the way I spoke, the boundaries, like the demand for him to leave, all the things. And then I flowed into this next one, 
And little by little, that worth went down, down, and down. And I was safe in that relationship. So Mm -hmm. the confusing piece that I'd love for you to touch on is that self-worth doesn't exactly mirror confidence, right? It's sneaky like that. I'd, I'd title myself a confident human. I feel great in my career as an artist, a writer, whatever. I feel great in my position as a sister and a friend and a daughter. And I feel great in my body most days <laughs> but it's specific moments that arise for me when I realize I've got work to do when a trigger arises does that make sense I yeah, hope so it makes so much sense and I love that you've actually made the distinction because I think most of the women that I work with and that tend to be attracted to my work um they appear very confident mm-hmm. and I, I think that Sometimes that even comes from being a high, just a, a really high-functioning woman. Mm, like, true. of course you're confident. You're beautiful and amazing. You do all these awesome things. But, like, it, it almost makes you wonder where is the, where, if, is it, if it, wow, I can't even say this. I, it's coming to me all at once. Like, if it's not rooted in self-worth mm. at, at a core level. Um, and, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't pondered this before you brought it up. So I, I'm going to do some thinking on it just for myself the difference between confidence and self-worth and um, what they're rooted in. Yeah. Because I feel like the base of confidence is, like, I think it is self-worth, mm-hmm. but I also think we can be confident in our abilities and our in our knowing that we can do certain things. Mm-hmm. Because one of my mentors, Tanya Geisler, always says confidence needs proof. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So that kind of tells me that confidence comes from showing up consistently mm-hmm. and developing some sort of relationship with what we're doing. But to me, self-worth is an innate goodness, deservedness of life. If that makes sense, like yeah. I can have strong self-worth and say, I, I, I don't have any big exams. I don't have a life like that, but say I had some big exam mm-hmm. um, for my career or for school or something where I could be rooted in my worth, but feel a lack of confidence in my ability yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where, that's what comes up for me. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah. Well, it's just so interesting because I feel like kind of like what I was saying, like my worth seems to really shine through when I'm being wronged or, you know, being single. If I go on a date and like someone doesn't reach out again, I I'm Switzerland. I'm honestly fine. Mm-hmm. And that feels great to me because I'm like, it's OK. Like, I don't take anything personal. That is where. I feel like my worth is high and my self, my, my confidence is high. Um, and like I said, when like, you know, when there was some unfaithful behavior going on in a relationship, my worth was high. And then I, I, I'm just not understanding why I only feel worthy when something is crumbling. You know, like I want to feel worthy all the time. Mm. And I think, so I'm really excited to segue into this next subject because I do think that they're interrelated. I really in my core, I feel like it comes down to being able to speak your truth. I think when you're comfortable speaking your truth, it's like the two, the two things collide, you know, like you're, you're not just, I'm not just sitting here saying that I'm confident because my shoulders are back. I'm like actually using my voice to speak what I need, what I want, what I believe. So wouldn't you say like it comes down to being able to speak your truth? To some extent. Yeah. And I think what, what I hear you saying is like you're being in your fullness and like what other 
whenever we're in times of adversity, I think we mm-hmm. see ourselves fully. Mm-hmm. Like, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Sometimes things are going great. We kind of skim over the self-work and yes. we're reflecting and we're not being challenged to expand. Mm-hmm. But I've, I have found whenever I'm in a space of, which is why I love entrepreneurship, because I'm always in the space of growth, it seems. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel most myself because I'm at my own edge. And I think adversity can do that to us where it's like, I have to be honest. I have to be on like my real self. I have to speak my truth because I'm, I'm relying on myself. We, mm-hmm. we become like our own advocate in those times. Mm-hmm. And what advocates do is they speak up. Mm-hmm. And so I think that actually makes a lot of sense now that you're saying it about speaking your truth, yeah. because I mean, and I, I wanted to even be clear that I don't always think it's appropriate to speak our truth to everyone because a lot of us do that from a place of proving ourselves yes. or trying to make people understand. Mm-hmm. But I think um, even just saying like being fully expressed in a way that feels right for you in the moment is really important because not everyone actually deserves our full truth, but oh, whenever we can good feel point. good. <laughs> in the way that we're showing up, I think is whenever, for me, where I feel most worthy, whenever I don't feel the need to explain myself to people, when I don't feel the need to prove, because that comes, like you were saying, from the codependence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you tell, so sometimes when I'm recording these podcasts and I'm listening to someone speak, I automatically think of like a question that I could imagine a listener like Mm. listening in their car and being like, yeah, but wait. So something that just popped up is what about, how would you, how would you recommend that someone practice? Is there like um, a practice or an exercise that someone could learn how to step in and speak their truth without the fear of being judged again, especially as being a woman where we're often labeled as abrasive, right? Mm. For simply speaking our needs or wants when, when that is appropriate to do so. Is there some sort of like an exercise that you give your clients um, to help them step into that? Um, it's more of a process I take my clients on mm-hmm. that I, I feel starts with the ability to pause and allow what we're experiencing because the truth is that not everyone will understand mm-hmm. and that some people will will look at us a certain way and judge us in a certain way. And, and that's I had a conversation okay. recently with one of my mentors that really stuck with me. Um, and it was about belly shirts because it's really, really, really simple. We were, we were joking about how a couple years ago, my, I really wanted to stop wearing bras on the regular and oh, I really wanted to amen. wear belly shirts. <laughs> I, I, I felt everyone's eyes on me whenever mm-hmm. I would go out like that. I felt like people were looking at me. I felt the male gaze. I felt other women feeling uncomfortable that their husbands were around me. Like all of this stuff I had been taught, you know, of like mm-hmm. what everyone else thinks. And we were joking about how over time I, I stopped attuning to everyone else's feelings and I started to attune to my own feelings. And so that's what I mean by pause and get back into my own body because that codependent need to be checking and, and surveying if I'm safe that, I mean, that does come from trauma. So I think we need to like honor the experience of, I don't feel safe. I'm mm-hmm. afraid to speak my truth. There could be consequences. I don't know if I'm re- re- like even ready to be with those consequences quite yet, but I can be with the experience of being seen. And that feels really scary. And then beyond that, starting like once you can feel your own feelings and pause and be with that and stop making it about anyone else it's just it's the way you're responding to people's eyes on you then it becomes how do I unhook 
my worth and my validation and whatever I'm my safety, even from what other people are doing or saying is so that that requires cultivating a really deep well of, of self-assurance and safe people and a safe space for your inner child inside mm-hmm. yourself. So it's, you know, it's easier said than done of just like, don't care whatever other people think, but truly learn to process your own emotions, start showing up in, in small, safe ways. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not a person who recommends shouting from the rooftops your truth whenever you feel paralyzed at the thought of sharing it. Mm-hmm. You know, start with a safe person. Start start with your journal, like you said, free writing. Mm-hmm. Then start with a safe person. And for me, like, I would wear crop tops with no bra on vacation. Ooh, mm-hmm. how does that feel? No one here knows me. Interesting. So then I would do it, like, going out with girlfriends on a Friday night. Like, okay, that feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, uncomfortable. And so I started testing. And eventually, I just stopped caring what, how other people reacted and started seeing it as that belongs to them. And if I'm triggering them, it actually has nothing to do with me. Uh, Um, Yep. So it's, it's a process, Mm -hmm. but, um, I, to recap, I would say allow how you feel about it, Mm -hmm. pause and allow it cultivate a safe space to slowly start expressing yourself Mm -hmm. to where other people's responses aren't going to be overly triggering, like ease your way in and then unhook from other people's emotions, like meaning anything about you. Mm -hmm. That's so good. So my sister used to always say that's there, that's theirs, not yours. Yeah, like, I love that. Do not. It's like, or what's that other one? Like, not my circus, not my monkeys, sort of. Yes. Like, you're not yes. doing any harm, you know. It's just crazy <laughs> the way that we can program ourselves to think that we're doing something wrong, mm-hmm. um, yeah. simply by yeah, even just dressing how we want to dress. And one thing that I want to just go back a second that you said, um, we kind of touched on it already, but. I think it's important to reiterate, and I really liked what you said because you had said, I don't recommend just always speaking your truth to whomever, wherever. And at first I was like, oh, what do you mean? Like we should like silence ourselves. But I, I, hearing what you're actually saying is really powerful. And I think it's an important distinction to just say that like it's not to – it's not to stay silent or not say something when you want to say something, but to understand that it's not the point to just say it to be heard and get your truth out. It's mm-hmm. the point is to to own it, right? And you can do that internally. You can do that on paper. You don't always have to be going out and every person that you're you're seeing or meeting or whatever doesn't have to know yes. everything that's well, on your mind. That's not really what it's about. It's an internal practice. Yes. Like I think so much of the speak your truth comes from a place of not being heard for so long. Mm-hmm. There's so much anger mm-hmm. and needing to like a lot of women I work with desperately need to be understood. They feel mm-hmm. like they've been misunderstood their whole life and they want to be heard. And I mean, look at these beautiful platforms where we can say anything we want and yes. be heard and get likes and get that validation that feels so good. But there's energy behind that as well. And over time, that feedback will, if we, and I, this happened to me as I was building my business is every time I would change, I felt like, cause I change pretty quickly whenever mm-hmm. your work is self-help, you're mm-hmm. just, oh my gosh, yes. Transforming <laughs> constantly. And then I started realizing I was worried what my audience would think about my transformations. And I had cultivated this relationship where I'm speaking my truth, but what happens if my truth changes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I started realizing that I, I had to be so sourced with my validation, self-worth, 
hearing myself to myself, honoring myself for myself, that no one else needs to, to fully understand me before I'm in peace. And doing that, I feel fully expressed in my life, but I don't feel like I have to explain it to other people to be fully expressed. That's such a such a powerful thing to say of like, you know, my truth is forever changing because you're forever evolving. Yeah. What are people going to think? And yeah. And then realizing that it doesn't actually matter. What matters <laughs> yeah. is that you're at peace. People are going to, you know, they see through that. They see through that. I think that's that's great. Um, so let's talk about self-worth and money then. So how are these two things related? Oh, my goodness. So it's so funny because, one, I didn't get in this work to make money. I thought it would take me 10 years to make $30,000 a year, and mm. I was so okay with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I was so, like, if I can make um, – if I just wanted to do this for a living. Um, and I, I come very much from a poverty mentality, a scarcity mentality of – we're, we're not really worth, um, investing in for one. I never saw my family invest in self-care and their own needs and their mental health and their own thriving. I saw us investing in, um, quick fixes, like almost like these like fake happy things. Like we had a boat and all, and all of those sorts of things that are like, we work hard, we play hard, Mm -hmm. but it was never rooted in we deserve to rest. We deserve to relax. We deserve to, you know, make money in a way that feels good. <laughs> my, my stepdad will even still like, he doesn't really even realize I have a job. Like he's not exactly sure what I do. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, but it has taken me a really long time to realize that money is just energy. Mm-hmm. It, that we can have a relationship with this thing that can, I don't want to, I want to be really cautious to say that if you really love yourself, then you'll be wealthy. I think there's a lot of stuff going online and in this industry right now that says, if you have good self-worth, you will be rich. Um, I, I don't think that's the case. And I don't think it takes into consideration the nuances of, um, systemic injustice and poverty and Mm -hmm. the struggle of access to wealth. Mm -hmm. And, I think when you understand who you are, you do show up differently and wealth looks different. So, um, like I'm trying to think of how I want to say this because I am not a teacher of money. I don't teach a lot on, um, wealth building because I'm still so, I mean, I've only been in business for four years and I feel like I don't have enough, um, true integrity with this topic to teach on it. Mm -hmm. But what I know is our self-worth is, how do I want to say this? Give me a moment. I'm going to tune into what I want to say without getting integrity with it. I, I think it, it comes down to that everyone is meant for an abundant life, but not Mm -hmm. everyone believes they're worthy of abundance. Mm Mm-hmm. And abundance looks different. So what, if you're listening, whatever your current understanding of abundance is, one, question it. Um, because I think that we sabotage our relationship with money and our making of money because we want money for reasons that actually aren't aligned with our soul. Yes. And so, yeah. we're, you know, we that's something that we need to deconstruct. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, why do I need the big house and the fancy car and all of the clothes and my hair a certain way? Like, all of those things are also programming. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't want to say that you fix your worth and then you get rich. But I do think 
whenever we're tuning into our self-worth and what we're really made for and here to do and what our soul wants and, and realizing we're deserving of what our individual soul wants, it shifts the way that we show up in the world. It shifts the way that we circulate money. It shifts the way that we trust what we do with our money because we trust ourselves. Yeah. So a good, a good example of this is yesterday I just I made – well, this week I made three big investments. I invested in a new website for my program, Awaken Her Soul, and I, I invested with a really a designer I really trust and I know who gets my vision. I invested in a conscious business strategist to help me make sure that my sales funnels aren't producing any harm or manipulative marketing tactics because that often happens in the industry without even realizing it. You just get kind of sucked into accidentally manipulating people uh, doesn't feel good. So I hired someone to help me with conscious business strategy. And I hired um, a mentor who I so align with on the topic of sovereignty. And I thought about how good it feels, one, to be able to live my values mm -hmm. because I, I know what they are and I believe that I am worthy of them. And two, to live your values means to reinforce your self-worth. It kind of, it plays back into that. Like whenever I'm investing in other women who I know what they're worth, I'm also saying I'm worth investing in too, because I'm living in integrity with my beliefs. Absolutely. So I think it's that seeing it more as this collaborative way of living that I am investing my money in what aligns to my worth and what my soul wants. Therefore I, I can trust that that money will come back. And so I, I guess I just want to add that it comes back also to trust and values is mm -hmm. how I kind of see it working is mm -hmm. money. If it was like a pyramid and money was at the top, I think the foundation is self-worth. And then I think there's a layer of values and I think there's a layer of trust that has to kind of be together in that. So I don't know if I answered your question. You, Those are you did. Oh my gosh, <laughs> okay. you answered it and then some. And one thing that you said too that I really loved that I've actually just um, somewhat recently discovered is how you said that wealth can not always be what we think it what we think it means to us, mm -hmm. you know. And so for me, I grew up in a very in a wealthy household, humble, but wealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I <laughs> had always thought that success meant having a huge bank account. Mm -hmm. Um, and just recently I actually got really real with myself through a lot of internal work and opulence workshops and whatever, That's and funny. realized, yeah, that, that inner peace to me doesn't mean having a huge bank account. It means having mm -hmm. enough to be free and do the things, like you were saying, that align with my values and mm -hmm. that allow me to invest in ways that feel really good to me. That doesn't mean I have to make $4 million so that other people are <laughs> impressed. It means I need to make however much so that I can be free to live the life that I want. So yes, it was this huge release. That. Yeah, it was a huge release to be like, I don't even want to be rich. <laughs> I, I want to be free doing what I yeah. love, you know? We're already rich. We're already wealthy. We're already, we're already who we're trying to be. Mm -hmm. And so realizing when you are, and this isn't just money, this is everything that when we realize who we really are and we fully embody our self-worth, then the things that match who we are, that's why I want to speak on the values. Cause when we're, when we think that we're manifesting money based on programs that aren't aligned with our soul, that's mm -hmm. not self-worth. <laughs> we're actually right. manifesting out of alignment. So that's why I think 
I want to be cautious of saying like, oh, it's just, you know, you just love yourself and then you get rich. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like that. No, it's not. How do we want to be making our money? And I think that's a big thing. Like when we align with our self-worth, we have to be really honest about who we are and who we are is love and the way we're making money doesn't come from a loving Mm -hmm. place. I mean, there's a lot of people making a lot of money and it's unethical. And they're miserable. Yeah. I, I want to be in alignment for me with my integrity and, um, I think we can make, a, that's a script that we have to rewrite, right? That if you're doing spiritual good work in the world that you can't make money, that yeah. was a big block for me. That it's greedy but, and, yeah. Yeah, which is why it's like, get that, get down to what you really want mm-hmm. and then make it happen through your self-worth, not someone else's model. Absolutely. Going back to how you were talking about the three investments that you made in your business, I want to touch on that because you've built what seems I've been in contact with some of them and you've built an incredible team. So Mm -hmm. I know for me personally as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure a lot of the other listeners are entrepreneurs. um, Whenever I think personally, I'll be fully transparent about adding a team to my business of any kind, whether that's here with the comp collective or my photography business, I'm Mm -hmm. always so hesitant because honestly, I have such severe worth hangups that I'm not deserving of that, of the help. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, did you go through any of that while bu- building your business? I know you said you're four years in. Did you have any hangups with that? Yes. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> many. Um, well, I will say the first thing I knew is that I, I didn't go to the best uh, like school growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom had a learning disability. So she wasn't a great reader. She didn't read to us a lot. And I really missed out on great spelling and great grammar. Mm-hmm. And so my first investment was if I wanted to be successful, I had to get an editor. And so that was the first thing I invested in. And I didn't have a lot of hangups with that because I knew I needed it. <laughs> it yeah, was like, sure. Um, so that the first thing, you know, that was like probably like 20 bucks a month. It wasn't that expensive. It was, you know, basic. So I felt for me, the word that kept coming up is pretentious. You think you're better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, yeah. my family was very blue collar. Even though my mom, my mom cleaned houses. So she actually was the help. And I saw that how that affected her self-esteem. And she had a house cleaning business and would still say, I just clean houses. Mm. And that really bothered me. And still I'm like, mom, like she doesn't do it anymore, but get good things she would say I hope our house doesn't burn down because I don't feel deserving of having this nice house like really like really low self-worth when it came to money so whenever I moved into being able one 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 one, to like being able to do that on a regular basis like all of that was I I didn't do money work before that happened. Mm -hmm. I wasn't actively like, I'm trying to hit six figures. Um, It just happened organically. Mm -hmm. And even that was a block for me of not that I didn't deserve it, but that other people would think something about me. In some ways it was deservedness, but in a lot of ways it was, who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh, you must really think that you're special. And I'm, I'm not very old. Compared to a, a lot of the people that were in my life starting businesses, mine grew really fast. And I mm-hmm. had this tall poppy syndrome of who do you think you are? Why did this happen so fast for you? You're not as good as you think you are. Or, you know, people are uh, imposter complex. People are wrong about you. Mm. And it's wrong for you to be living in this much abundance. Mind you, I live really simply in the Midwest. I am not a huge shopper. Like, <laughs> I yeah. live pretty simply. Mm-hmm. But hiring a team in some way felt like 
pretentious. And I actually had a friend tell me it's pretentious of you to think it's pretentious. Oh, good friend. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, okay. Um, Unfortunately, I, I had a lot of great coaches remind me that I need to be in my zone of genius. Mm-hmm. And I also got really burnt out, so I needed the help. But um, my team is amazing, and I know what I'm not good at. And, yeah. I, and I know what I am good at and what needs to be done mm-hmm. better. Yeah. So, like, graphic design, I'm like, I'm actually good at graphic design, but I know that that's not where I want to put my energy. So yeah. how cool that I get to provide someone a job and contribute to their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I only have, I guess, I'm trying to think of how many team members I have two people that are like exclusive team members and I have a designer on retainer. Okay. And shout out to Sarah. She's amazing. Yes. Oh, Sarah's amazing. She's the <laughs> operations manager. So I have an operations manager, Sarah. She does all of my like VA stuff and my mm-hmm. scheduling and payment management and client contracts and all of that. And then I have Jenna who is our community happiness manager and she helps me. Like, she posts my Instagram posts for me. That's actually a new thing. And she manages inside of awaken her soul so she she's taken the program herself twice and so it was so good to see someone that really invested themselves oh yeah Mm -hmm. that I was like she gets this and she was such an encourager to the other women that I actually was just like can I pay you to do what you're already doing you're amazing and so smart I've had copy copy editors on and off and then I have you know um strategists on and off on a need-to-need basis but the way that I live in luxury is like you said, freedom for me, that's abundance. I want freedom to be able to grow and expand and invest in myself. So I probably invest back in my business, 15% of what I make just on my own education and on team, Mm -hmm. because I really believe in the model of the CEO needs to be the CEO. Mm -hmm. But once I got past that block, it really didn't bother me. Yeah. So what's something quick or, um, I don't know, simple, I suppose, that you would tell anyone who is listening who might be having self-worth hangups when it comes to trying to grow their business or expand in their career? Mm. Identify the source. <laughs> yeah, that was literally just thinking, like, yeah. where is it coming from? Yeah, like, where is it coming from? Yeah. So, um, like, for me, it was pretentious. Oh, like my family looks down on people mm-hmm. who are wealthy and are educated, mm-hmm. and I'm the only person in my family who has a college degree. And so there's a lot of, oh, there's a lot of stuff there I need to mm-hmm. look at around um, my own beliefs around wealthy, like, wealth. Mm-hmm. And so, um, which is so funny, because I didn't, I didn't um, do the money work first. I did the money work once I realized, like, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, identify the source and get support. Like I mentioned, I love, I mean, I'm a coach because I love this industry. I love this work and I believe in it. I really believe in it. So I would say also get the support because it can be tricky to see these things and move through them alone. So true. Yeah. My thing is that I always feel like people think, that I'm a fraud. Like I can get the sweetest emails about the podcast or like an article that I wrote helping someone. I'm still like, Oh my God, they're going to find out. And Mm -hmm. the reason why, yeah, is because I talk so much about grief and I'm still so broken from, Mm. you know, losing my dad. And also just, I'm teaching what I need to learn. I, and I'm very transparent that I'm teaching in real time, you know, like, I'm figuring it out alongside my community, and I think sometimes I don't even let myself believe that. You know, mm-hmm. I, le- I tell myself this story that I'm 
acting like I have it all together and, you know, they're going to find out that I don't. And Mm -hmm. again, like you said, it's just identifying it and being able to repeat that out loud, like to hear myself say that out loud because then I do and I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. Come on, like be sweet to yourself. That's not true. Yeah. You know, well, you're not claiming to be enlightened, you know, yeah. <laughs> you to have it all together. But yeah. there's something to be said about around um, the way that we, in general, don't take responsibility for the way we interpret other people's lives. Yeah. And the way that social media, we can, we can blame social media, we can blame, oh, they just post perfectly curated, blah, 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 the whole thing. But to be honest, like, whenever I look at social media, um, as a way that people have said, you know, your life is perfect and all of that. Um, if, whenever people read my posts, I'm, I don't say that. And it's, it's the perception of the visuals being mixed up with people's stories. And then it's a projection. Mm-hmm. And so I think even the conversation on social media of we want more real, like people say that, but the engagement with the real is so low. It's so true that it makes me question our own relationship with what we want. If we Mm -hmm. want the real, then why aren't we engaging with it? And if we want the curated images, then like maybe we should evaluate our own beliefs and stories that we're telling around other people's lives when they post a beautiful photograph. So it's, it's tricky because we can't control what other people think, but you're, you're an artist, you're a photographer. Like I was peeking at all your Instagram and your photography Instagram and it's clear that beauty is important to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the aesthetics, and I'm not, I can't, I can't post anything otherwise because it doesn't align with my soul. It doesn't <laughs> feel good to me, you know. And it's not about trying to make everything look perfect. It's how I see the world, truly. Mm. You know, Isn't so that beautiful. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, and I appreciate it. I appreciate a curated feed because what it says to me is I care. Yeah, a lot, and not in a a way of pretending, but mm-hmm. in a way of, like, I care for my space. And mm-hmm. I, I, I love a, a raw feed also, you know, like, but there's something to someone who has taken the time mm-hmm. that really, it says something to me about the way that they care and love and are in the world. Yeah. I was going to say, I totally agree. Like the curated just makes my soul happy, but then also I do have pings of jealousy sometimes. A really good example is um, Emily Schumann from Cupcakes and Cashmere. I follow her um, just for like a lighthearted account, <laughs> a break yeah. in all of like the deep soul work I'm always doing. Sometimes it's nice <laughs> just to come up on someone who's like, look at my new shoes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. something about hers that I just love is that it's raw, but there's still so much intention. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like, yeah. yeah, there's, there's so much intention behind what she posts. And so I think, I think that's kind of just what it comes down to is like, how does it make you feel? Some people might look at hers and be like, she has a perfect life. I look at hers and say like, she's just living a life of intention to yes. me. And that's what I appreciate. Just be intentional. Oh, so well, and how cool that like, we have a platform for our creativity. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it is, is a way to express art and with our lives and mm-hmm. a way to speak our truth in visuals and in, in yeah. creating fun Instagram stories and mm-hmm. kind of circle it back to speaking our truth. Like that's a really beautiful way. Art is healing. It's yeah. a really beautiful way to express ourselves and to say, this is what my soul looks like on paper, or this is even a manifestation of my highest self. Absolutely. That I'm working with. I, lo- I love it. Yeah. And it's honestly, 
honestly not any of our business what other people are thinking about us expressing our soul as long as, again, it's done authentically and is aligned with our values. You know, that's really all that we owe to ourselves. Mm, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I so agree. I could talk to you forever. Just a couple more things. I, <laughs> um, I really want you to talk about Awaken Her Soul. Please tell us all about that. What called you to create this? Oh, my gosh. So Awaken Her Soul is a 14-week mentorship program um, that I created almost two years ago was the first iteration. There's been seven intakes so far. Over wow. 100 women have taken it, which Congrats. is so crazy. That's amazing. And so cool. And um, it was created because, I, one, I loved group coaching. I loved holding space. So it actually started off as a group coaching program, and it wasn't – ever intended to be what it is. Like I, I didn't have this big vision to like grow my business with it, um, in the way it has, but I just wanted to be able to share what I had been learning over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I called in 12 women and we did a weekly, uh, soul sermon and we got together every other week. And, um, I realized that it was way more deep than I thought it was. Like whenever I was writing it alone, it felt like it was just flowing out of me. But the processes the women were going through were so profound. And so the way I had structured it, I looked through all of my journals, through my awakening and my healing, and Mm -hmm. I looked at all of my clients' notes and I started seeing patterns in their healing, that it came through a realization of being stuck, that acceptance of why this this death in the beginning of it this death process to the old identity and kind of surrogating them into the rebirth of what does it look like to be reborn as you really are and then live in alignment with that so um that's an intense process (laughs) yeah no kidding (laughs) worth it but intense yes i'm a really light-hearted person and the work I do is very deep, and I think it, it couples quite well. Yeah. Um, because I often don't realize how deep people are going with what I'm sharing with them. And so um, I'm able to hold a really light space for the depth, which I I think, which is one reason why people enjoy the process with me, because they, they go into the depths so and they don't get stuck there. Um, and yeah. Yeah. so after I realized what it was, because <laughs> I, I didn't really realize what I had created, I um, had hired a coach that to help me scale because I actually got really burnt out. I had 25 one-on-one clients and I was leading wow. two groups awake in her soul. Wow. And I had a podcast at the time and I was doing a retreat and it was just like, oh my gosh, it was so much. I had no systems in place in my business. And they were like, let me help, let's help you make this your signature offering. And they really supported me to where as I was doing it live, I collected data to be able to do it as this... Um, basically my process that Mm -hmm. I bring clients through that people can take on their own or in the group coaching. So I'm getting into all the details that I think aren't maybe necessary, but the program is built to help someone shed old identities and reprogram their brain to a place of self-worth so they can live into their purpose. And it is, it is like my baby. Uh, so enrollment opens again in October. I think I'm, um, well, I know I'm writing a book through the process alongside my, uh, faith deconstruction. I'm going to, I'm going to couple it with that and turn it into a book. So good. Um, So I'm really, I'm really jazzed about what it is and really, really jazzed to see the results the women who take it are living into. It's so beautiful. 
Yeah, I'm sure that is just beyond rewarding. I mean, even just going to the Awaken Her Soul website, it's like, again, that word, it's so intentional. Like, just even just, like, the homepage. I'm like, oh, my God, everything about this is just, like, healing, even just to be on that website. So I'm personally excited to dive in. I'm very interested. Um, Ah, Yeah, since we got in touch a while ago. Yeah. Oh okay. my goodness. I'm, that would be my biggest honor. Like some mm-hmm. of the women that have taken it, obviously I've hired one of them who's taken it. Like I, their relationships become really significant and the women really, really show the F up. Like it is, it is calling in. I, I, I almost feel like Awaken Her Soul wrote herself mm-hmm. and I was just kind of like there not realizing what I was chanting. Holding the space for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, because I'm like, look at all these amazing women around me that I get to work with. That's so cool. That's really cool. That's just you living in alignment, you know? Like, when you're living in alignment, things just flow. They really do. And so. it feels, it, there has been resistance, but it feels that way on the good days. Yeah. Oh, of course, of course, the ebb and flow. So, are you ready for some rapid-fire questions? Let's do it. Let's okay. Do it. I love rapid-fire. Of course, feel free to expand and take your time if you feel like you need to. You don't need to, like, rush with, like, one answer. But what is your mantra? Right now, my mantra is I love you and I choose you. Ooh. Do you know who Sarah Blondin is? I think I've listened to a couple of her meditations, oh, but I don't yeah. follow. She's incredible, and she has one um, where she where she says that. I honestly cried the first time I heard it. I was just laying in bed crying. I was like, this is so powerful. So I love That's that amazing. as a mantra. Yeah. What is your morning ritual? Um, if you well, have it has been changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty free flowing person. Um, and I'm also type A. So I've, I've been on this in my type A or type B for a very long time. I'm in the same boat <laughs> lately. Well, I guess in general, it's always get up, light an incense or put on my diffuser, mm-hmm. um, scrape my tongue, drink a glass of water, um, and then make my morning tea. Sometimes I do coffee, but usually I'm doing yerba mate. Mm-hmm. And on a good day, I'll meditate immediately, but I don't always meditate immediately. Sometimes I just sit on the porch and let that be my meditation. But I pretty much provide myself 30 to 45 minutes of just quiet mm-hmm. before I let anyone else into my day. Um, but I wake up with a lot of creative energy and a lot of insights. So if I'm sitting alone, sipping my morning drink, usually I'm inspired to write. Mm-hmm. So I will often jump right into work after that. Sometimes I'll even forget to brush my teeth. Apparently I'm an adult. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I do scrape my tongue first thing because that's very important for me. It's like a that, game changer. Yes. I don't like leave my room until I have done. My room has a bathroom. I don't do it just in my bedroom. But <laughs> <laughs> just for clarification. Um, But yeah, then I usually make a a really big green smoothie and, um, my intention over the next couple weeks is I'm going to start taking some like Pilates bar classes again in the morning. Cause I, I really Mm -hmm. like, um, like a a 10 AM movement. I'm starting to wonder if we're the same person. Yeah. Are we really similar? Like you're kind of freaking me out a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Like your morning routine is mine minus the porch. Cause I don't have a porch anymore, but it's very weird. And like morning bar classes, my favorite. And I always do the 10 AM class. It's just very weird. Yeah. It's cause 10 AM gives you enough time. If you have yeah. any creative work to get done, yeah. you can like invest a couple hours in that. Mm-hmm. But I usually don't start work work until noon, which mm-hmm. is like really nice. Like yeah. I don't start client calls or anything like that until the afternoon. Yeah. You're fully awake by that point. Mm-hmm. So what's, yeah. is, is there a typical day to day 
for you? Like what that looks like or does it, is it ever flowing, ever changing? Um, it is, it is ever flowing, but I will say like, I, cause I, I don't take clients every day. So mm-hmm. like I just have my days mapped out by like what I do on Mondays is my team meetings. Um, I map out my week. I, um, do like admin on Mondays mm-hmm. and then on Tuesdays and Wednesdays are our content creation days. So I, um, we'll take some clients on Wednesday evenings and awaken her soul calls are on Wednesday evenings, but the mornings are like, okay, I'm writing, I'm redoing my invitation page for Awaken Her Soul. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, creating word content and those are going to become my writing days for my book. And then Thursdays are client calls and then Fridays are client calls. So I kind of do like an admin day, like a, a boss day, two creative days and two client days. I love that. Yeah. What's the best life advice that you've ever received? Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing that comes, have you seen Just Friends? Yeah. So, you know the mom on Just Friends when she goes, be yourself. Yeah, be, be yourself. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, that's the first thing that came to mind. Oh, that's so funny. I just find it so funny. But I, I want to I find something more real. And that mom is so cute. Oh, my gosh. I love that movie so me much. Me too. Ryan Reynolds, Glory Days. Yeah. Okay, let me think about this. Best advice be I've ever... I don't know about ever, but... My mentor, Tanya Geisler, said something to me this year that really shifted the way that this year went for me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, there's been a lot of changes and transition in my life and in the past nine months. And I flew to Toronto to see her and was doing some really deep work strategizing in my business, which is also my life and all of that. And she was pointing out that although I had like removed all of these unhealthy codependent relationships in my life and I wasn't living in it in the way that I once had been, like I had good boundaries and all of this, she goes, you're still trying to drag people onto the dance floor with you. And she's Mm -hmm. like, and you're not able to freely dance the dance you're here to do because you're trying to convince people. It's so fun to be free. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what if you just, stopped trying to drag people and dance the dance you're here to dance. Wow. And it has, it's been such a grieving process, honestly, to say that like, I'm not going to convince anyone. I I'm sick of convincing. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to live in freedom. Mm -hmm. And those who feel called to move will show up on the dance floor with me. And so much grief in that, Mm -hmm. but also so much space. I mean, that dance floor cleared out. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. been really beautiful. And now people are showing up. I mean, clients are, are showing up that I have like dreamed about having like literally clients I wrote down in my future memories in like my journal that I would have are showing up. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah. It's, but it's because I just, I didn't even like let go. I just stopped dragging. Uh Uh-huh. That's honestly back to social media and stuff. That's what I've done with Instagram is I used to be so tied up. And now I, and when I say I don't care, it's not for lack of effort. I just truly do not care how many likes I get, how many followers I gain, lose, because who wants to be there is there. Yeah. Period. The end. And that feels better to me than having, you know, a hundred thousand strangers who maybe don't fully care or engage with the work or what I'm putting out. And if I have like two people who are sending profound messages, I'm like, that's good enough for me. Like, yeah, I'm not here to convince anyone that 
this is supposed to move you. If it does, yeah. amazing. You know? well, convincing is so exhausting. Exhausting. Oh my gosh. I've been trying to, con- that's why I even said people don't owe an explanation of your truth. Like convincing yeah. people that cannot see or don't even want to come where you're going. It's, mm-hmm. It takes so much energy. And imagine what we could create with that. Absolutely. And a side note, I know plenty of, like plenty of friends who have hundreds of thousands of followers and aren't making six figures. Mm-hmm. And not that it's about money, but I think that's what people think getting the followers. Oh yeah. Is. Oh Yeah. And I know people who have 4,000, 2,000, 1,000 followers making six figures. And it's just not correlated <laughs> to money. And I guess in some way it could be correlated, but it's not like it doesn't mean that you're going to make money. Yeah. My previous business coach, Jen Willie, she's amazing. She's been on the podcast. She has like 1,500 followers, I think. But the yeah. engagement that she gets and her, the community that she's built, she is so successful. So mm-hmm. successful. Because yeah, those 1,500 people want to be there, and they mm-hmm. show up for her. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, what is one way that you practice self-care every day? Mm, every day I tune in and meet my needs. Um, usually mm-hmm. that's like getting still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honor what I'm feeling. That's And that's a practice. That's not something I'm like, oh, I'm perfect at this. But mm-hmm. if I'm really trying to tune in, if I don't want to be somewhere, I leave. You oh, know? wow. <laughs> if yeah. I, if I'm tired, I go to bed. Yeah. So um, it seems really basic, but I, meeting my needs is mm-hmm. the ultimate form of reparenting and self-care that I've ever done. Mm, that is so good. Um, what is the book you're currently reading or the last one that you've read? Oh, gosh. I'm reading three books. I'm reading Pleasure Activism. Uh, that is by Adrian Renee Brown, Adrian Marie Brown. I, I wish I had that on me. Just remember, it's so good. It's about the politics of feeling good. I'm mm. reading um, Liz Gilbert's City of Girls. Oh, I want to read that. That's high on my list. Yeah. And then, um, which both of those books um, in different ways are about pleasure and fun and enjoying life. Mm. And then um, I'm also reading the five... It's by Robin Sharma. It's about getting up at 5 a.m., like the 5 a.m. club. Oh. Um, I'm listening to that on Audible. And then next up for me is Attached, um, based on attachment styles. I'm really pumped to get started on that. Ooh, those are good recommendations. I'll put those in the show notes for anyone else. Um, What's one internal thing that you're currently working on? I am currently working with um, the five-year-old version of myself, Mm. um, who, at five, (laughs) I went by Katie exclusively. So Mm. that's been actually fun to like work with my inner child who gave herself her own name wait that is so cute yeah so I've been working with my five-year-old self around um being I mean too much but in the way of um I'm realizing how early I started attuning to other people's desires for me and feeling guilty for being how I was so I actually Mm -hmm. right before this I did a hypnosis and then did an inner child journaling to Katie and then front you know just kind of transformed from Katie to Katie I don't know I love that the yeah. conversation and around what I mean I was I was a year younger in school than everyone else so like this asymm- asymmetrical learning that happened and feeling like I was a problem and what that did for my caretaking of other people mm-hmm. and uh, performing and not like not being authentic to what I was experiencing in that time. So I'm doing some work around that and letting that's connected to letting go of caretaking father figures and the masculine in my life. Woo. So 
Yeah, you know, just a casual. Casual. <laughs> yeah. So casual. good, though. So important. So important. Okay, you have one message to share with the world. What would that message be? Mm, there's nothing wrong with you. What does mindfulness mean to you? Um, I, I think it means being present to what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? My website is a fun place to be, madisonhedlin.co. Um, that, from there, you will find information. I have a boundaries program that people can just take whenever they want so that you don't have to wait for open enrollment to get started if someone's really feeling this conversation and wants the foundations. Boundaries mm-hmm. 101 is where I recommend everyone begins. Awesome. Um, they can get information on Awaken Her Soul there. They can follow me on Instagram there. They can, you know, creep years back into my life that <laughs> I know loves doing. So, um, and hopefully if you're inspired, please reach out and say hi and send me an email. I do read all of the emails that are sent. I don't always reply to all of them because Jenna is so good at her job. She replies to a lot of the emails, but I, I read them. And if anyone wants to connect in the clarity call and is thinking about coaching, I do free 30 minute calls and oh, that's love. great love love to do them oh that's awesome holy cow this like exceeded my expectations I mean I knew it would be wonderful but I'm just so happy to have met and connected with you virtually you are a beautiful human Mm, well thank you so much for having me like I'm gonna go on a work go work out from all this energy I have (laughs) from this conversation good take Katie for a workout Yes. Well, thank thank you so much for having me and for anyone listening. Like, thanks for listening this long and such an honor to get to share my story and my heart and the things I like, the books I like with everybody. Yeah, it was an, it was a joy. Thanks, Madison. Yes, you're welcome. Woo. So what did you think? She's a total gem, right? There are so many golden nuggets in this conversation It had me lit up from the inside out, and I just feel so grateful to have crossed paths with this human. If you loved this episode and it feels good for you to do so, you can share with any friends that you feel like this might resonate really well with, and you can leave a five-star rating and review over on iTunes to ensure that the podcast can just continue to have on inspiring guests like Madison and to make sure that the podcast lands in the laps of those who are needing more mindfulness in their day-to-day lives. Lastly, Madison is offering each of you a free download of her morning meditation and journal guide. This is designed to help you peel back all of the layers of programming, insecurities, fear, and self-doubt so that you can take action from a place of alignment. You can find that along with all the other goods that we chatted about down in the show notes. Have the best day. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you back here next week.